Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 91 for Saturday, February 13th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and joining me as always is... I am Captain Sabriel Maston of the ship. And you know what, Ken? It's like the Elysians say, give a man a Torbach and you are warm in the desert. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I could use some of that warmth here <laughs> in Colorado where it snowed about six inches last night. Oh, well, in that case, you know, I heard we had Starfleet guests, so I came here to scurry like a spider cow just to see you. <laughs> but, you know, if you fly at Brussels, I'll pull some green bread. I'll, so. I have a banta treat either way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, so we are here to talk about Discovery, Season 4, Episode 8, All In. This is the return of Discovery to the airwaves after a five-week reprieve where we were watching Star Trek Prodigy instead. You may have heard our recent review of that, me and First Officer Tiffany Bridge, on the most recent episode of Transporter Log. Sabriel is back, and we are reunited to talk about Discovery. So All In, this is where... Michael and Oo go after Book and Tarka. General thoughts about this episode, Sabriel? It's fine. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Transporter Lock. <laughs> um, how about you? That was my, my, my review, my one sentence review. That yes, that was your TLDR. Mm-hmm. So this episode did not go where I expected. I thought there would be more space combat, space races, some aerial acrobatics, and said we end up in a casino. And oh. it was a little cliche. I feel like there have been plenty of, if not Star Trek episodes, although we saw that in TNG, but just general movies and TV shows where it all comes down to the big game. Like I'm oh. thinking of... Uh, the movie Maverick, for example. Okay, slow down, slow down, slow down. I have questions for you first before you... <laughs> what made you think this is going to be a high-energy episode or action-packed? Because Book disappeared at the end of the last episode, and I thought they were going to chase after him. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I didn't pick up from where the last episode left off that they were going to look for an element to build that weapon. Like Even Book seemed surprised by that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he was surprised by that. Um See, I didn't know what they were going to do next because they just kind of left it like, oh, they're gone. And like, okay, so Discovery is in this really good about just dragging things out. Yeah. And I think we're getting, we're starting to see that in the last half here. And we had to do the whole, okay, where do they go? So I didn't, my brain didn't go to, we're going to have action yet. I think we're going to do find the thing and then have the action. Well, maybe it was that I thought they would be alternating because the last episode, you'll recall, was where they had the entire Federation come and they held a vote. And like, that's exciting. And so I thought they were like, okay, we're going to come back after the five-week break Mm -hmm. with a big bang and we're going to have space battles and this and that. And oh, no, we're just going to (laughs) play. Dang. (laughs) And just a different, I just, I just interested you and we both had different thoughts of what this episode would be. So did, are you to saying that this episode lived up to your expectations? No, I'm saying I didn't expect it all out action. I just thought, like, okay, we're going to have a slow one here while we figure things out, unless um, they ignore the book line for a bit. 
Mm, which they sometimes do like, oh, there's this huge DMA destroying plants. Let's go chase after some mm-hmm. Romulan nun. Uh, yeah. Um, but then see, that, that ended up becoming relevant in this episode. Yes, that occurred to me. And we'll, uh, we'll get to the end of this episode as well. But there was a lot going on this episode. I let's, Just to pick a spot at random, I like that they brought Owo along on this mission. Yes, uh, we, were, we were giving them crap, Star Trek Discovery crap, because... Oh, whoa, had her moment of, hold on, let me pause the action. I need to interject some lore here. Uh, a few weeks ago, when they were um, getting out of the subspace anomaly or whatever it was, and um, that they finally touched up on that again a couple weeks later, uh, a couple episodes later. I'm like, okay, you had your moment of random outburst, and now we're just going to spend on that and have you come with. And you know what? I don't think there was anybody else who would have fit better here, especially with Tilly gone. I could have seen Detmer filling that gap. I could totally see Detmer in the ring. Maybe that's because we see her and Owa working out together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that too. Mm-hmm. But you know, I guess that also, that's a good point. We got to see Owa earlier this season in the gym with Detmer when they were doing their little um, montage of everyone coming together a few episodes mm-hmm. ago. They were in the gym working out and beating things up. And so that was a little hint of what was to come. And didn't we didn't know it. Yeah, it wasn't completely out of the blue. If they had had one of the other characters from the bridge who we don't see work out suddenly pull off their shirt and they're ripped, we would have been like, well, that's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> and I, for one, appreciate OO's gun show. Do you think she was actually hustling? Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. Because in that case, she... It didn't feel to me like she let Michael in on the fact that she was hustling. Oh, they were in on, in on it together. Well, the only clue I had was the fact that Michael waited until the third round to bet everything. That was it. That was it. They were making a scene so they could be heard, but it was a complete 100% hustle. Those two people who tr- the two people who were working the ring already were 100% correct. Okay. In that case, Michael's Michael was <laughs> I mean, Sinequa was acting like she was acting. And she did a, such a good job that she convinced me. <laughs> so well played. Uh, and I also loved Owo's face when Michael introduced her. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and Owo's like, excuse me? That was funny. I don't think Owo figured that one was coming. <laughs> I don't think I saw it coming. Like uh, in, in the four years that you and I have been reviewing Transporter Lock or Discovery, I've never, it never occurred to me to c- call her anything but Owo. <laughs> um, I mean, well. I liked this karma barge. <laughs> yeah, what a name. Even Owo was like, really? The Hazmazara's karma barge. Uh, what a name. And I love the dragon that hit it. The holographic dragon. Yeah, that was that cool. hides it. Um, I love that it's just sitting here floating in the ocean. An oasis away from everything else. I, I just love that kind of stuff. We have a little canteen out here in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked the guy who owned it. I thought he was charismatic. He said to Michael, I hope things work out between you and Book. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, as we alluded to at the beginning of this podcast, I didn't understand half of what he said. That, okay, that was something I wanted to bring up. One, I'm glad he wasn't another quark. He was his own person. Um, and I loved that because Star Trek, they often have these things where characters will say like, that says... Something as a Tarkelian, uh, you know, boondog or something like that. Like, uh, they always have these really weird phrases, but they also tend to make them sound like ways that we understand it. He made no pretenses about that. 
Swamp Rat could have learned to hort and hustle the last time I saw her. Since I last saw you. I mean, we get the idea just from context. We didn't have him explain his idiom, and I loved it. I will say that I had to rely on subtitles more than usual for this episode because I was like, what did I just hear? And <laughs> always after replaying the scene with subtitles on now, I realized, oh, I wasn't supposed to understand that. <laughs> well, you two are strutting around like Klingons at a disco. <laughs> I mean, some of those I got, that made uh-huh. sense to me. Like That's like a bull in a yeah. china shop, sure. But I, I loved it, and he didn't explain it. Uh, and we also got a reference to Lower Decks, our first one. Wait, what? I missed it. Oh, uh, I, I used it already, but um, he said, I heard we had Starfleet guests, so I, like, just, so I just had to scurry out here like a spider cow to welcome you. A spider cow is from the pilot episode, Second Contact. Huh. Well, f- wow. That is a very detailed ref- uh, observation of yours. I didn't catch I- it until I watched it again this morning with subtitles on. And then like, wait, spider cow, wait, did he say that? And then, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because that's something I have observed in a previous episode of this podcast, which is that the animated series always reference the live action shows, but never vice versa. And, you know, that's, in my opinion, that's how you make them canon is by referencing them. And finally, we got that. So, ah, Lower Decks is real, finally. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... The reason, well, okay, one more thing before I forget. We got to see a changeling, and they didn't have the weird high-def makeup that every other alien race <laughs> seems to be given. So that change lane for me raised a lot of questions because <laughs> of course it's hundreds, almost a millennium of years after the dominion war. We don't know what's happened to a lot of races, change lanes, Borg, etc. But a change lane by himself is not all that common. If they are wor- by themselves, they're usually working toward something that the, what, what, what do the Borg, sorry, what do the Dominion call their collective? The, the um, Great? Oh, you mean, oh, the, the Changelings call themselves the Great Link. The Great Link, thank you. That's mm-hmm. been a while. Yeah, so usually when you see a Changeling by themselves, they're working towards a mission for the Great Link. And I don't see how hustling in a casino is beneficial to the Great Link or uh, necessarily to a single Changeling. Uh, why don't we have Odo? I mean, for reasons, obviously, he was left. But uh, two, like you said, it's been almost a thousand years. Things change. Right. I don't know if we need an answer yet other than, hey, cool, they're getting out and seeing the universe. Uh. <laughs> right. We may not need an answer. It may not be relevant. But that doesn't mean it doesn't raise the question, at least for me, of, wow, so I hadn't even thought about changelings in the last thousand years. What are they up to? What <laughs> yeah. is going on with them? Uh, that also... Okay, so that's another thing. Um, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here by all the little things in this episode, but honestly, <laughs> that's kind of a reason for that. But um, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, early on, Has tries to sell a Devore scanner to Book and Tarka. Mm-hmm. Devore are from Voyager. Oh. Uh, they're the people who are, uh, they were from the episode, uh, season five episode. Uh, the counterpoint where Voyager was smuggling um, telepathic refugees in the transporter buffer. Mm. And they even referenced that a little bit by saying, like, Tarka says, this couldn't find a Betazoid in a doohickey. Yep. Um, so referencing the telepathic things. Um, and so that just further goes to show that what I wanted to bring up, why I brought that up is because 
that by the discovery time, going to Delta Quadrant is no big deal. Yeah. Well, I don't know if going there is no big deal, but certainly over a thousand years, there have been more people going there and more people from there coming here because kind of like how once the Borg were aware of humanity, they started coming this way. Once the Delta Quadrant is aware of like, oh, this USS Voyager and all of their advanced high tech, let's go figure out where they came from. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, to head on, because like in the past, they saw maps of showing Delta Quadrant to places like they were just within reach. And then mm-hmm. also I speculated that next season, maybe we're going extra galactic. Because maybe the gal- or this quadrant has, or this galaxy has been explored enough. And maybe even at the end of this season. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's why I brought all that up to kind of tie all that together. And things seem to be kind of just showing that, yep, the galaxy is smaller than it used to be what we're used to. And so therefore they need to make it bigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, back to the episode. Yes. I so thought it was all right. We got to see some cool things with like OO, and um, we got to see Michael and Book working together, even though they're working against each other. Um, I still don't believe Book's turn. I don't. The, none of the characters seem to, in ways that matter. Uh, it just, just do you believe Book's turn, like narratively? So you think that's similar to Boimler in that episode with Jeffrey Combs as the evil AI, that he is basically hustling Tarka? Mm, no, think outside of Star Trek. I just don't believe storytelling-wise this whole turn. So maybe there's a reason why I don't feel it, but like no characters seem to. Oh, I was like, you couldn't have seen this relic. It's like, did you have any idea this happened? They said no. And she's like, how did you have no idea this is happening? Um, uh, just like none of the characters to me feel like they believe this and I don't believe this uh, piece of storytelling. So maybe they're using that. And maybe the reason I don't believe it is because he doesn't, he's not actually, but I don't know. It feels like either a missed. It feels like it's not working for me is what I'm trying to get to. Or there's a reason it's not working for me. When you say he's not actually, he's not actually what? He turned, uh, Turning on Michael, turning on on uh, his family, turning on the Federation, that he would do this whole runaway with texting. It's not believable to me. Hmm. And I don't mean that within the story. I mean that outside the story. I actually read, of all places, a good comment on Reddit, which broke down this situation with the C-10 alien race into a form of the prisoner's dilemma, where you have two parties and they each have two choices, and the best outcome depends on both of them making the best choice for each other instead of for themselves. So let me let me summarize. Mm-hmm. You have the alien race, and to put it simplistically, they're either hostile or they're not. And then you have Starfleet, and you can, they can either respond with hostility or with diplomacy. If the alien race is hostile and we respond with hostility, we get wiped out because their weaponry is so much more advanced. If the alien race is hostile and we respond with diplomacy, it doesn't matter because they're hostile and we get wiped out. Now, if the alien race is diplomatic and we respond with hostility, we get wiped out because their weaponry is so much more advanced. But if they are diplomatic and we respond with diplomacy, then we both win. So that is the only outcome where we don't get wiped out. It's a one in four shot and Mm -hmm. it depends on us making the diplomatic decision. Book does not seem to realize that. He seems to think that destroying the DMA will not result in the destruction of Starfleet. 
And that is extremely short-sighted to me. I can understand Tarka doing it because he doesn't seem, seem to care if the Federation gets wiped out, as long as he gets the energy he needs to get reunited with his loved one. Mm-hmm. But Book, yeah, I, I think I agree with you that I don't understand why he would be so short-sighted and so careless. I understand his motivation to protect people, to not have the same thing happen that happened to him. But I think his means of going about that are not realistic. They're not going to achieve the, his stated goal. Yeah. And so, and I don't understand why he doesn't understand that. Uh, it, yeah, it just doesn't feel like book from what we've known for a season and a half. Um, like he, he even tries to tell Michael, you should have seen this coming. I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I there's no if, if they wanted to use an established character for this turn, there's no better character in my opinion for us to actually kind of care about. But I don't believe it still that they chose Book to be this person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like they asked him, "How did you get pulled into this?" And he said, "I didn't get pulled in. This was my choice." And they're like, he was making some progress toward getting healthier. Uh, and I know that's not a linear path, and we've seen his onboard psychologist struggle with some of the same things. It's not linear, but I don't know. It was especially disappointing when he was sitting at the poker table, and Burnham said, we can end this, and she's referring to his escapade with Tarka, and Book says, okay then, let's end this, and he's referring to his relationship with Michael. Like, how much... Is he willing to throw away? Like even he said to Tarka, "You don't know Burnham. He, she always finds a way." Mm-hmm. And so, does he really think he can get away with this? He gave Grudge away to be state guard, so he he knows this is a one way trip already. He's known it from the start. Yeah, but it's just it just feels like oh, like are, are they getting rid of this character? <laughs> I hope not. I like him. Well, there is precedent for Starfleet captains and commanders to get reunited with criminals, as we mm-hmm. saw in Deep Space Nine. And this show. This show. Uh, Michael was a traitor, but uh, Lorca brought oh, her that's back. Right. That's right. But Michael wasn't in love with anybody. Oh, that's what you mean. That's where you're going with it. Yeah. We, we see romantic relationships mm-hmm. get rekindled after one person does their time. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we'll get rid of Book temporarily. And he'll come back in a later season. Although we are already in season four. They have announced that it's been renewed for season five. But yeah, I I don't know where Book is going. I don't know what his outcome is. And I, you know, Tiffany and I were just talking about there is never a Starfleet captain as a protagonist on a Star Trek show who is married with kids. You're right. Like we've seen relationships as i just mentioned on d space nine and we've seen kids also on d space nine but anything longer term than that anything healthy and stable i gotta wonder if starfleet prioritizes single people for promotions (laughs) um maybe you think that's why cisco got promoted or are not saving it was just directly but yeah he had a family but he had a loser in the pilot right so yeah i i would like to see that trend not continue on Discovery. I'd like to see some healthy relationships. And we have seen healthy relationships on Discovery, but 
we've also seen a lot of unhealthy ones. Like we've seen Michael be subjected to domestic violence from the man she thought she was in love with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like he tried to choke her and that's not cool. And so at the beginning of the season, I was so excited to like, oh, Michael has gone through so much in the last three seasons, which as we've commented, were relentless and without break in between. And finally, she she, get, she gets a break. She's a captain with a boyfriend. What, who could ask for anything more? <laughs> but no. Tarka. I actually believe him now, that his reasons. And he just doesn't care about anyone else. Oh, yeah. I agree with that, absolutely. Uh, but before, we had speculated we weren't sure if he was just using a line at the end of the last episode. And now it's like, okay, yeah. No. This is his thing. Even Vance got into it. Because Admiral Vance at the beginning cause, cause really tells us that Tarka was Vance's choice to work on this project. Mm-hmm. And Vance said that he believed Tarka's a big ideas about propulsion because he saw him at a conference and he says, I still do. Um, but then Michael's like, well, maybe it was his ego and Vance immediately stops and starts talking about family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, maybe Vance even knows why Tarka is doing this or has a high suspicion. Uh, just the way that it segued there. Like, okay, yeah, this is true. I thought it interesting how easily Owo got under his skin. Yep. Fun-ish. He was like, okay, you're boring me. Go stand somewhere else. <laughs> um, but even then, Tarka at the very end, he didn't seem to believe everything he's been saying either because he said sacrifice is heavy. Doing it for the right reason should help, but never does. Uh, like He acts like he doesn't care, but it sounds like he's just jaded. Like he's did at one point, now he's just jaded. And by a- any cost. Yeah, I'm still curious to know more details about his history. Like, who is this person? Like, he said to Owo, if you understood the weight of my loss, you would be so uncertain about what good can come of it. Yeah. And I was like, really? Has has Tarka lost something more than, say, Cisco did in the mm-hmm. pilot or than Book did in the first season episode of this season? If... Tarka is supposed to be our antagonist. I wish we would have just known this as a flat out thing from the start (laughs) instead of revealing it like this. Like, let him be an interesting character to me instead of just revealing it in these little lines to me. Uh, Let me see his journey to get there too. If he's supposed to be the bad guy. Well, the the journey means not knowing everything all at once. Oh, no, no. I mean, Star Trek Discovery keeps doing this where like, try to make me care uh, with what's her face too and the Orion lady last time who's running mm. things, uh, trying to make me care along the way instead of trying to build him up first. Uh, like basically, try something new, Star Trek, because I would love to see it. I want to see his <laughs> path go uh, from, like, maybe a flashback saying, like, no, I lost the thing. My person flashed away in a flash of flash. And, <laughs> and then I get to see his struggle along the way. I don't know. I just... Give me something more if I'm supposed to think of he's a, as the antagonist or the gray area antagonist. Well, there are still things we don't know about Emperor Georgiou. Like she was having those flashbacks where she called out somebody's name of somebody who she cared about uh-huh. and lost. And we still don't know who yeah, that is. Yeah, I wish Discovery would quit being so secretive. <laughs> and, I mean, for some, in some cases, because that, that journey is interesting to me instead of just dumping it near the end. Well, yes, like when they built up Ariel only to kill her in the same episode when they had all season to build her up. Yeah. So I agree with that. In the case of Tarka, I think I'm okay with what they're doing because there are still unresolved questions with him. 
And it's possible that what we learn about him in later episodes, if anything, it's possible we won't, but either it will cast him in a new light or it will make sense of earlier things that will prompt us to go back and rewatch those episodes. So I mean, I, I don't, I don't know where this character is going yet. Yeah, if that's their game, try to get me to keep my subscription for an extra week or month or so to rewatch. Like, <laughs> um, sometimes I just want to know on the way there, and it's not that I'm trying to tell them divulge your secrets. I just think you have a potential for a really interesting character here. Help me feel interested along the way instead of going oh at the end, because hmm. uh, they just keep doing that. That's all. Okay. I, I think I get what you mean. So it's the, the doling out of information is fine. It's just the where in the epi- where in the arc it's happening. Yeah. I get it. Let me believe he's conflicted right away instead of, you know, last episode <laughs> going, is he really or is he just doing this to book? Like Yeah. Yeah. Show me. You know, like there was oh. a Robin Williams movie, One Hour Photo, where the whole movie is chilling and then at the very last second they reveal why the main character is the way he is. And I think in that case, it worked for me, but mm-hmm. it also is sort of a last minute thing. And maybe it would have, maybe we would have empathized with the character more for the last hour and a half instead of just for the last five minutes. Yeah. I mean, it can be done well. That's not saying it's bad or wrong. I just, Disco keeps going to this well. <laughs> I want to see him yeah. struggle on the way there. Well, we're certainly seeing the struggle in book. Uh, so I don't believe it, though. <laughs> like we just, we're talking about two. And he yeah. doesn't seem to believe it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going to happen to him. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I know, I mean it's, Missed opportunities. <laughs> so what do you think about the fact that this uh, C-10 alien race, the Stilf, am I getting that right? Uh, no, the Stilf are just people who live near them. But the C-10, we still don't have a name for them. And as we <laughs> just in the past, they have no clue what they're doing. They're just mining. Oh, okay. I Thank you. I didn't understand that the Stilf and the C-10 were different races. Got it uh, now. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. The Stilf are just the people who that they got the scans from. Yep, okay. yep. So they have this basically uh, Dyson sphere-sized Faraday cage, and they're using the DMA to mine for a mineral that will power it. And that raises a couple of questions for me. One, I'm surprised that in all the scans that Starfleet has done since the DMA first appeared they never realized that the waste left behind didn't match what was there before. Now, granted, that's a very specific inquiry to make, but they had all this time. They did have all this time to try to, to sidestep that question. Saru said like, it comes in infinitesimal amounts, this mm-hmm. Boronite, which is another back, back call to discover or Voyager. Voyager discovered Boronite? Uh, it was used in the Omega Particle article or article uh, Omega <laughs> Particle episode to contain the Omega Particle. Oh, okay. That one I didn't look at. I just had to like Boronite, more like Borophil. No, um, what? Uh, happy medicine thing. Don't worry about it. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, it's a reference and it fits because it had it used to contain a lot of power. Um, but yeah, they they said it was infinitesimal, so I'm guessing that's why they missed it. You're right. I'm reading in Memory Alpha. It says a sufficient amount of boronite could be synthesized into some of the most powerful substances in existence, such as the omega molecule. 
Okay, cool. But yeah, I mean, even if it is infinitesimal, they did, once they asked Zora, they did have that information, the fact that it was not there. So it's infinitesimal, but still measurable. Yeah. Uh, so that, I mean, that fits. Once you know what you're looking for, it's like, oh, duh. <laughs> right. And the other question I have is, okay, so it's not a weapon. It's a mining tool. It still demonstrates a supreme level of unawareness that this alien race thinks that they can deploy a mining right? tool and not just be entirely destructive of a region's native life. Not, so that, that leads a lot of questions like, do these people not normally live where they are and they just arrived here to start mining? Um, is this a new thing? So they just like, okay, we've got this new tool. We'll start using it now. Um, so like, there's a lot of questions that are just left to be unanswered because well, like, this is just weird that it's the first time we've seen it. But if they have a very long life, I mean, um, uh, I got a thought there. I just can't think. But maybe this is the first time they tried using this thing. Like, it also I mean, feels I, weird that they didn't know anything about the inside of the galaxy. But if you live so long, you don't pay attention to such things. Maybe, but like, I'm thinking of the Marvel villain Galactus. Like, he consumes entire planets because that's the only way he can survive. But he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, so I guess that raises the question is he evil? Uh-huh. If he, what? What? Is it some kind of AI again? <laughs> you think. No. Do you think species C10 in the Faraday no. cage is an AI? I don't think. I hypothesize. You can throw things against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, <laughs> no, they, they just don't understand what they're doing to sentient things. Hmm. I hope not. But, uh, I mean, AI, if it's sufficiently advanced, does have some degree of awareness. Yeah, I know, but that's the Star Trek MO. It just didn't understand. That's been happening since the original series. <laughs> I hope it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah. But, but even if it is an AI, or even if it is just a long-lived alien race that doesn't realize what it's doing, what is the resolution? Like, okay, so Starfleet approaches them diplomatically. They stop book. The DMA isn't attacked. And the alien race is like, oh, okay, now that we know what we're doing, it doesn't change the fact that we need Boronite, so see ya. <laughs> yeah, like the ants come and try to talk to me and saying, you know, stop squishing our whole hill. It's like, okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess if the ants were actually able to communicate to me, maybe I would listen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it falls apart if you start digging into it, but you get the idea. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but mm, we, didn't, we learned that they have a lot of energy and... They are probably scary. <laughs> uh, and it's really weird that they don't know anything about what's going on in this galaxy. Or maybe they just don't care. And we could go that route too. It's true. It's true. But I mean, there has to be some resolution. You know, even if the ants do ask you to stop squishing their anthill and you like, I don't care, your ants. That is not going to pave the way for season five. Yeah. Because if if the resolution is like, okay, we just need to let the DMA continue destroying planets, we'll just point it toward uninhabited ones. Like, no, that's still not cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I wonder where that's going to go. Maybe they create an omega particle, just one, and just <laughs> give it to them. There you go. That'll be sufficient. Huh. This is interesting. Yeah, I don't, I honestly have no idea what the resolution could be because like I said, there is that prisoner's dilemma 
And in order for Starfleet to survive, both sides need to be diplomatic or at least willing to communicate about alternatives. But I don't know what those alternatives are. Of course, it's possible that they'll pull something out of their pocket that we've never heard of because it wasn't until this episode that I realized, oh, Boronite can be synthesized into some of the most powerful things that exist. I was like, that is a callback to Voyager season four that aired in 1998. That was 24 years ago. I didn't have that piece of trivia on hand. So to me, that felt like they just pulled it out of thin air. Oh, for sure. So who knows what else they might pull out and be like, hey, did you know that instead of destroying plants for boronite, you can just use vibranium? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, and we're like, oh. Star Trek has been good for that too. Always finding a solution at the last minute of some techno with some techno babble. Uh, and yet, I I think this season of Discovery is either twelve or fifteen episodes long, which means they still have quite a bit of time to figure out what that solution is. They do. I was talking to Franchar. We were like, because we were like talking about, wow, yeah, Discovery is actually, you know, doing things, not dragging things out. And this episode is the first one the season to make me feel like, oh, you're dragging things out. <laughs> uh, I don't know. They could, they could tighten things up a bit. <laughs> Let's see. But I'm still, yeah, in, I- I'm still enjoying the ride, but they could tighten things up a bit. Well, it's challenging when every single season is basically one arc yeah you know, and maybe we'll see something different with strange new but, worlds but. you know other shows do that though like the expanse has one arc over six seasons more or less with some mini arcs um uh, it can be done uh oh, sure. it just feels like uh they could tighten some things up well every now and then they have episodes that feel like padding like they go after the romulan nun and mm-hmm. as you alluded to earlier that does come back this episode where like oh we use the same tracking device were you surprised that burnham found a oh, way to win that annoyed me too like how come they why that what's the point of keeping that a secret from us to me to me i gained nothing from that being a secret except michael's like went against orders except not really and did a thing aha don't worry captain or don't worry president i did the thing even i don't know just to me, I gain nothing by learning like, oh, good old Michael did it again. <laughs> Conversely, if we had known that she planted the tracking when she planted it, then that means she would have gone into the poker game against the three other people with us knowing that the tracking device was already there. And that, for me, would have eliminated a lot of the tension because I would have felt like, oh, it's okay if she loses because we'll still know where the stuff goes. Yeah. Um, no, no. Like, you're right. If it if we got the show story as played out, it would have been weird, but they would just change the story. Like, how does she manipulate them into this and this? How does she manipulate Book into winning? You know, like, things like this. I mean, it just it just turns, changes how they approach the scene. Hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right. If they would have just kept it as is, they would have been like, okay, there's nothing here. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like the way that they, that she and Book collaborated to eliminate the two other people. <laughs> I love Michael turning into that and the role again. Just, uh, just being a chatty Kathy. Yeah, she's such a ham, honestly. <laughs> and of course, Book played right along with his tapping on the table and you know touching their faces in the right spots. And but yeah, ultimately she lost the game, and she apparently knew that was going to happen. And so she played the best hand she could with the card she was dealt. Uh, it also felt so forced to me, like oh, we don't have jurisdiction here. I'm like. That wouldn't have stopped other Starfleet captains from just apprehending them anyway. It would have been trickier because, as you saw, they were frisked at the door. 
and so they could not have brought any weapons in. And so they all, I think they also mentioned that she didn't even have a comm badge. Yep. So what do you think a captain could have done to apprehend book in that instance? I have some ideas, but I want to hear yours. <laughs> Put the tracker on book. Just wait outside the front door. Uh, get, <laughs> you have transporters on your shuttlecraft. You have transporters on your comm badge. Uh, you have secret handcuffs that you can just hide away because in this future, you hide away weapons inside um, a little secret pocket. Uh, there's so many things they would have done. And that's just off the top of my head. They could have babbled a whole bunch of stuff. It just felt contrived to me, like, oh, we're going to pad this out, and now we have to go on the hunt. We didn't go on the hunt before because we knew where he was going to go, but now we're going to go on the hunt. Yeah, Discovery was not in orbit. They had to warp to this planet. But you got to wonder, if, if to your point about waiting at the door, couldn't they have caught Book as he left the Karma Barge? Exactly. Once, once he was back on his ship, he had to either go to his ship or once on his ship, go somewhere. Yeah. I just I feel like yeah. But the way that they played it out is a little bit more intriguing, you know, and it does stretch things out because they do have some more episodes to fill out. And also this gives them the opportunity to kind of like Emperor Georgiou at the end of season one, she deployed her weapon and just decided not to push the detonate button. Mm-hmm. And so that is a you know, I I didn't particularly like that episode because she was just like she just gave up. She's like, fine, you win. And she handed over the detonator. <laughs> yeah. But in, the in this case, down. right. But in this case, <laughs> uh, Book and Tarka will actually have time to build the weapon. And if the weapon gets built, then that creates more tension later, as opposed to saying, ha, we took away the fuel that you need to even build the mm-hmm. weapon. There was never any chance of you attacking the DMA. So that would be less tension. What this does allow them to do is have a. Um, during the negotiations with C10, this has the, the fact that this weapon exists has a gun on the table at the diplomacy thing saying, hey, we're even. Uh, we're even weapons wise, so let's talk. I mean, if you match up the DMA against this weapon, sure, they could probably destroy it. But the only race that created the DMA is capable of much more. And so I think their, their retaliation would be. Oh, no, I'm not unhealthy. saying it's smart, but I'm saying it's like, <laughs> Oh, we have some, we have something we can do to hurt you. So let's but, talk instead of just treating us like ants, but kind of like Zora, they had a way to destroy her. And in order to fully trust each other, they had to destroy that self-destruct mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if they, actually want to be authentic with their diplomacy, they need to take the gun off the table. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it feels like that's part of the ploy to me, the, the, the negotiation. Mm-hmm. We have this thing. We're not going to use it. Should we talk? See, we're civilized. We're not more, we're more than <laughs> ants. I mean, that's, you get your, your skirt in the same thing I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Also, by the way, you briefly mentioned her. Where is Tilly? I know that she joined Starfleet Academy as an instructor but I thought you read in an interview or saw in a after show that she was not leaving the show. Yep. And yet we haven't seen her. Yep. It's been two episodes. We didn't see uh, Detmer in this episode either. Yeah. I think it's only been two episodes, maybe three, but huh? I mean, we haven't seen, we didn't see Detmer. 
We didn't see you could show the crew this time. So yeah, she'll be back. We need our, we need our science person who loves math. Uh, coming back soon. Uh, this was the fourth episode without her. Huh. I just checked. So she left at the, at the end of episode four, and this was episode eight. So she's been gone half a season already. And still, eh, she'll come back. I hope so. I miss her. And <laughs> I want to see more of Jet Reno, of course, as well. Yes, we don't see enough Jet on a blue screen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want. And as we said, there have been limited episodes where we see Detmer and Owo actually together. Right. By the way, I I need this spelled out for me. Going back to the change lane, mm-hmm. how does the ability to change your appearance give you an advantage at poker? That's a good point. I, really, <laughs> I just didn't think about it. Um, you're gonna have some data here for air for a minute while I think about it. You can edit this out. Well, the only thing I can think of is if each person that you manifest as has a different tell, then you can manipulate the dealer into thinking that you have certain weaknesses that you actually don't. And then therefore you can play it up or something. I don't know. Oh, and it's not necessarily that they are playing poker, just playing the game as general, but you're right. They can just playing the role of multiple people. You can learn things about the stuff. Like there's always going to be chance. You're always bidding against the house, but changeling was using that information to get something out of people. Yeah, it just wasn't clear to me. I'd have to think about that more. Anyway, uh, also a minor observation of mine, and probably one that you, Sabriel, made episodes ago and just didn't mention, because I'm always behind. The opening credits change every season, and they usually refer to something that's going to be in that season. Like season three, they had the dots that didn't really show up until almost near the end. Uh, This season... There is one moment in the opening sequence where it looks like there's a Roman numeral two, like two brackets facing each other, and then they pull out and turn around to face each other, and there's like an uh, a voice wave in between them. That's Zora. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that because we didn't see Zora manifest uh, in that fashion until fairly recently. Yeah, it's an episode or two ago. Yeah, so that's been there since episode one of the season. It's kind of an interesting journey to see how. Um, how the intro credits are going to fit into the season. Yeah, there may be other shout-outs that we're not recognizing yet. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, is there anything? Oh, we didn't talk about Stamets and Culber, really. A little bit. Oh, We touched on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they cleaned their apartment and then went for a walk mm-hmm. in a meadow of flowers. I mean, there was a little scene where like, we only get to see the only person who's struggling with this change uh, visibly or talking about their feelings. And it was Culver questioning why he didn't see this turn coming. Um, I thought it was a neat scene because like, I was like, is that the first time I've seen a spray bottle on <laughs> Star Trek? And I was like, my first thought when I saw that. I'm like, what's he doing? I actually uh, had the same thought, Sabriel. I guess others had spray bottles from misting their plants, but that was the first time I was like, is that really what? I was I was hard focused on that. And but Stamets even calls it out, like, what the, are you doing? <laughs> Why are you cleaning? Um but I love that. I love this line. It's like sometimes it needs a little zhuzh. <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard that word before. I had to look really? that up. Oh zhuzh. <laughs> I gotta kick out of that. But it was a really sweet moment of Stamets being there for his husband. And um, using the line, like a lot of people don't like when you say like you're both hurting, and he's like it's not the same as yours, but it comes from the same place. You know, like the anxiety of that, and like 
That was, that was a great line. That was sweet. Uh, just seeing that little moment. I loved it. It was interesting to see Stamets being the person trying to calm down his partner because he was suffering from the same weight of expectations earlier in the season when he said to Book, I'm going to do this for you. I'm not going to let you down. Mm-hmm. And then he said to the Vulcans, you can't make him live through that again. It's too painful. And then he turns to uh, Culber in this episode and says, you realize that's an entirely unrealistic expectation. <laughs> so I'm not saying it's contradictory. I'm saying that the two of them are experiencing similar challenges and uh, they are at different points in working through it. Yes. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else to say about this episode. Do you? <laughs> um... Uh, has made a reference of so act like an armist and you basically go for a swim in the ocean. I love it. Yes, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because I caught that too. So clearly they made fun of armist in season two of Lower Decks and now he's apparently entered into the general vernacular 900 <laughs> years later. Oh, that was that just cracked me up. And he says an armist, so there might be more or it could be just a reference to that one. But it was still oh. either way. It is amusing to me. I was like, don't be like, a jerk. <laughs> yeah. But it's also amusing to me that let's say that the Enterprise D's interaction with Armus is Starfleet's only interaction with Armus. Like that one interaction is enough for it to be remembered by people who weren't there 900 years later. <laughs> or even like making me- the prank calls to it. Oh, right. That was so good in Lower Decks. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed that. The only things that happen in the Federation are the things that were worth televising to us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So I have a couple of other random notes, not necessarily about season four. One is about Kenneth Mitchell, who you'll recall played Ariello last season. Mm -hmm. So has he appeared this season? Do you recall? Only in mention, but not physically. Okay. Because there is an article that was published on trekmovie.com back in August saying that he uh, shot a scene for season four. Mm -hmm. I I haven't read the whole article, but he was quoted as saying, I appear in season four in a very unique way. I don't know what that means. But then I'm also looking at Wikipedia. And this, as we know, he has amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And Wikipedia says that by August 2021, Mitchell had lost the use of his voice due to the disease. Because uh. he has also been a voice actor on Lower Decks. And so, I mean, that that is one way for him to appear. As we know, Ariello was, uh, he appeared on the show as a handicapped character because Kenneth Mitchell is in a wheelchair. And I'm wondering what his appearance in season four might be. I'm, I'm presuming that he shot that episode before he lost his voice, but that may be his last appearance in Star Trek. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. We also talked about Kenneth Mitchell when we interviewed Rob Perlman, the author of the book Starfleet is because Kenneth Mitchell wrote the preface for that book. Mm-hmm. And so Kenneth Mitchell seems like a great guy mm-hmm. from what I've heard from him secondhand, from the interviews I've seen with him, from his appearances on the show as a Klingon and as not a Klingon. And I not only hope to see him in future Star Trek, but I also hope the best for him. For real. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, on a happier note, there is a lot of Star Trek news that got announced last month. Uh, Discovery got renewed for season five. Picard got renewed for season three, and Picard is only going to run for three seasons. Mm-hmm. Picard season two starts on March 3rd, which is only a few weeks from now. And uh, Strange New World season one debuts on May 5th. Yes. So we have a lot of Star Trek coming up. Yes, we do. And I guess also another 10 episodes of Prodigy, which will still technically be season one. Right on. Yeah, which is not something I know particularly interests you, but I'm sure it's something you can be happy about. Oh, yeah. More Star Trek. Good Star Trek. Yeah. Um, also this week, while we're recording, uh, the magazine Out had a bunch of Star Trek actors, uh, disco actors in it. Um, including like, um, oh, gosh, oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, blank here. Special issue with interviews with... Um, Emily Coots, who plays Detmer, Anthony Rapp, um, who plays uh, um, Paul Stamets. Paul, thank you, Paul Stamets. We got, um, um, gosh, where's the list? Uh, <laughs> we get uh, Wilson Cruz is playing Culber. We get uh, Ian Alexander in Blue DeBario. Um, I think Tig is in there, Tig Nataro. And um, we also get uh, Mary Wiseman, uh, all doing covers in very glam shots. I missed that Emily Coots engaged, uh, got engaged at the end of 2020 to her girlfriend, uh, Detmer, I did, character Detmer. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I missed that um, that news, or if I did, I completely forgot about it. Um, but yeah, there's some great covers for the um, of this series of interviews from Out Magazine of everyone just in some amazing outfits and hair and whatever. Uh, Check those out. They're probably easy to find. Just look for Out Magazine Star Trek. That is exactly what I was Googling as you were saying that. <laughs> and the first hit is dailystartreknews.com. And the, it, what I'm seeing is Emily Coots on the cover. And there's also an alternative cover, I guess, with... Uh, I'm trying to click on it to expand the photo because Twitter is cropping it. But I'm guessing that's Anthony Rapp. Mm-hmm. And um, I... Uh, wild outfit yeah oh there's some good stuff they even have on if you go to their twitter page out right out right now uh, wilson cruz is their cover image oh yeah what i'm yeah this is anthony rap he's got mm-hmm. uh some very oh he's got a, a long jacket he's, he's doing the um uh singer vibes british guy Elton John. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the same thing. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> he got some Elton John vibes going in his. Um, oh, they're just some good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Cool. I will include a link to that in the show notes at transporterlock.com. Oh, and there is Wilson Cruz's cover. Man, that is a good look. Right? Jacket open. Uh, <laughs> showing he's very built. Maybe he should have gone in the ring in this episode. Are you right? <laughs> And would anybody have complained? <laughs> Worked out some tension. <laughs> right? Nice. Oh, uh, speaking of, I just last night finished watching Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that has Michelle Yeoh. Yes. Yes, it does. I did not know that until I watched this episode or the movie. 
same here. She showed up and I was like, oh, it's Emperor Georgiou. <laughs> She's in everything. It's amazing. Everything. I was, speaking of that movie, it felt a little bit like the movie Crazy Rich Asians where, oh, there's uh, this Asian couple in New York slash San Francisco. And all of a sudden it turns out that the guy is the son of somebody really important and they need to fly back together to the ancestral home and deal with their family. And Michelle Yeoh is there. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. Yeah. But still a good movie. I liked it. Yes. And one that I was able to watch on Disney plus thanks to a mutual friend. Good deal. Oh, speaking of one last thing, I always harping on Paramount plus. Yes. I usually go through Amazon this month because I cannot watch live Star Trek uh, on Amazon. Yep. I decided to try it for Paramount Plus to give it a shot so I could try it, see what the live Star Trek was all about. Yeah. Um, and so Paramount Plus has vastly improved since Discovery Season 1, which is nice. I'm happy to report. Um, and Star Trek Live is cool. Just put one on. Uh, they like to do a huge swaths of lower decks blocks. Um, but also each time I happen to catch when Star Trek is on last night, I ended up staying up almost an extra 45 minutes hour because it happened to be um, Drumhead. Oh, uh, good the Romulans or the trial of a perceived Romulan spy in Starfleet. Yep. Um, it's like, oh, it's a good episode. I'm just going to stay up late all night and watch this. <laughs> so when you say Paramount Plus has improved in the last four years, are you referring to like the interface, the content? The player was my biggest complaint in season one. Mm. And now it's, well, it was also CBS All Access then. I don't care a single bit about anything that's not Star Trek on that service but Hmm. i'm happy to have the uh i'm happy to report it's improved and so if you have been avoiding paramount plus for the same reasons i have uh it's probably okay to go back good yeah i actually for the first time ever used it to watch something that wasn't star trek i pulled up an episode of cheers last week (laughs) oh cheers such Uh, a good show it is whenever i think of cheers or frazier i actually think of you sabriel because (laughs) i I feel like you're the you're the only person i know besides me who likes those shows as much as i do (laughs) They're so good. They are. I just needed a half an hour of something to take my mind off uh, uh, something else. And I like I, I didn't have time for a one-hour show. I'm like, what can I watch? That's a half an hour. And, with, and I don't want to start something new, like the final season of The Good Place, which I haven't watched yet. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I can just watch Cheers. So I put, I put that on. It also I made me realize, you just mentioned CBS All Access, there is a little widget on the transporterlock.com website. It says, Star Trek Discovery, now streaming on CBS All Access. Click here for one free week. (laughs) And it goes to the CBS website using a referral link. And for some reason, I guess I just thought that that it would dynamically update because it's embedded from an external source. And it never did. So it still says CBS All Access. Oops. Yeah. So I think I will just take it down. I don't think we've ever gotten many referrals from that anyway. And that's not why we do the show. (laughs) Oh, actually. Oh, right. Right. (laughs) Actually, I think I did get one referral from that, and it was you. <laughs> so, anyway, we're planning on a redesign of the website anyway, so there may not be such a place for such blatant advertisements anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have wrapped up this episode. What would you say? Uh, yeah, it was fine. I guess. <laughs> no, it was fine. I, I'm being hard on it, but I just wish there was more. Yeah, and we've both had our ups and downs this season, but I think it's going to end on a high note, or at least I hope so. I hope so. Until next time. Punch it. Hit it. I still have to figure this out. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock 
or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. <laughs>